good morning, friends. Let's uh, pray, shall we, as we begin? Our Father God, I do pray that this morning as we look at your word, you would fill us with joy in the Lord Jesus. And I pray it in his precious name. Amen. Well, up on the screen in a moment, you'll see a picture of my brother in Christ, Pastor Nurul and his wife and two children. They live in Bangladesh, where recently um, uh, Pastor Nurul has had the joy of baptizing six new believers into the Christian faith and in his church. It's been a great joy, but has also come at great cost. His family have ostracized him, his village have thrown him out of the house and threatened him that if he doesn't stop speaking of Christ, everything that he has will be taken away. You can imagine that he's finding that quite difficult. But he says this, they can take my home away, they can take my rights away, but they cannot take my Lord Jesus Christ away. My Lord is with me, he cares for me. Pastor Nural is supported by an organization called Open Doors, who are a new mission partner for us here at St. Paul's. There will be in time more information on the World Church Board, although there is a booklet about their work now. Do look them up, opendoors.org on the internet. There's loads of very encouraging things to help you pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. But how do people like Pastor Nural stay so strong in the face of such opposition. I don't know whether you're anything like me, but there have been times I know when I've thought, oh, if I say something now, they'll laugh. And persecution is inevitably going to increase in our country. I think we've already seen evidence of that happening. How do we as Christians stand firm for Christ when the going gets tough and we face opposition? And how can we, as Peter tells us to in the passage that's just been read, how do we find joy? How do we rejoice when we're suffering for our faith? It doesn't feel very natural, does it? Well, we're going to look at our passage today just in two sections. Firstly, find your joy in Christ, even when suffering for him. And secondly, Commit actively to Christ, even when suffering for him. So firstly, and the, the longer of the two points, lest you worry later on, find your joy in Christ, even in suffering. This is from verses 12 to 18 in our passage. And uh, Peter, of course, is writing to Christians who were going through troubles. They had what at the beginning of the passage is described as a painful trial. I think that's probably better translated as fiery trial, which we sang about earlier on. And it takes us back, doesn't it, to chapter 1, verse 7 of uh, 1 Peter that we saw Peter talking about all kinds of trials and those trials that strengthen faith. So if you're uh, taking notes, you might want to just jot down these references to look later. Uh, but the, the, the trials they were going through would refine them. Such trials as being beaten, chapter 2, verse 20, being insulted, 
chapter 3, verse 9, being slandered, chapter 3, verse 16, and being abused for not going along with the crowd's uh, debauched behavior, which we saw in chapter 4, verse 4. These are things that they suffered because they stood clearly and firmly for Christ. And indeed, in chapter 2, verse 21, we will see we see that they were called to such suffering because of the example of Christ. To this you were called, says Peter, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. In other words, the life of Christ is the pattern for our life. And therefore, says Peter, don't be surprised when these persecutions come your way. It's to be expected. Because after all, we're strangers and aliens in this world, as we saw in chapter 2, verse 11. As those who stand for Christ, we're different to the world. And so perhaps, surprisingly, Peter says in verse 13, we should rejoice even when suffering for Christ. One dictionary I looked at suggested that to, to rejoice means to feel joy or great delight. Well, I don't think that that definition will do. Nowhere does the Bible say, enjoy it when you have a really rough time. No, it says that we should rejoice. I think it's suggesting something that I like to think of as godly joy, an inner contentedness, something deep down in here that despite what's going on outwardly and what's coming at me, I know that contentedness because I know that Christ is with me. I don't think I feel happy when I'm being mimicked a bit or mocked a bit, I mean, for, for my Christian faith. Quite the opposite. It, it feels a bit miserable, doesn't it? But happiness, you see, is, is a feeling that's dependent on circumstances. But joy in Christ is not dependent on circumstances, says Peter. Joy in Christ is all about the presence of Christ within me through his Holy Spirit. We're united to him, aren't we? That's Colossians 3, verse 3. And in fact, as you suffer those trials because of Christ, he draws alongside you. He gives you that joy as a gift to the measure that you need it at that time, I'm sure. And what's the source of that joy? Have a look at it in verse 13. It is our participation in the sufferings of Christ. Christ gave everything for us on the cross, didn't he? He was humiliated, he was tortured, he was insulted, he was treated with great brutality. He was subjected to the most painful, agonizing, humiliating death that was known to the Roman Empire at the time. But as we see in verse, chapter 3, verse 18, that was the righteous giving his life for the unrighteous for you and for me. And Peter, I think, wants us to see that our participating in Christ's suffering 
sharing it with him as we bear insults in his name is a blessing to us because it's preparing us through the refiner's fire to be overjoyed, verse 14, when his glory is revealed. Just think about that for a moment. We suffer these things now, but we will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I want to notice two things briefly about that phrase, when his glory is revealed. And firstly, it refers, and I think plainly, to Jesus' second coming. But I don't want us only to be thinking, oh, we've got to struggle on with this until he comes again. Because actually, his glory is already being revealed in you, in me, as those who stand for Christ. Right now, today. Have a look at verse 14, would you? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of the glory of God, note this bit, rests on you. Not will rest on you one day, rests on you. Present tense. So we have a future hope and a present reality because we belong to Christ. Commentator Edmund Clooney puts it like this. The reality of our suffering for Christ becomes a pledge to us of the reality of our belonging to Christ. And so our suffering should not put us off living for him because our suffering comes as proof that we belong to him. And therefore, says Peter in verses 15 and 16, don't suffer for being an idiot. That's my rather poor translation. That, that would be shameful. But never be ashamed to suffer for Christ. For it's an honour and a privilege to do so. You see how we can find joy even today in suffering. It doesn't depend on how we feel. But it depends on who Christ is. It comes from knowing the glorious truth that our suffering now proves we are Christ's and that we belong to him, secure for all eternity. Now, very briefly on verses 17 and 18, they're slightly tricky. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? I think um, that translation of difficult trial into fiery trial, which is a better way to put it, helps us to unpack this a little bit. In one sense, the, the fire of judgment that will come when Christ returns already is burning in the fiery trials that Christians endure in the name of Christ, that fiery trial that's purifying our faith. It's never easy for us, is it? But that word hard in a sense, is perhaps should, should be translated as with difficulty. One commentator said that it does not imply uncertainty of the outcome, but the difficulty of the road that leads to it. So thus, as Christians, our judgment in that sense is beginning now, not the sense that we're condemned by it, 
because Christ spares us condemnation, but in the sense that we are being made more like Christ through it, preparing us for that glorious future which we saw in chapter 1, verse 4, can never perish, spoil or fade. So Peter's argument seems to be then that if the judgment is now beginning and is of benefit of those, to those of us who are in Christ, surely the opposite would be true for those who reject Christ, who refuse to believe in him. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner if they've rejected God's good news? That's Peter's question. Now, can I ask you a blunt question, whether here in church or watching on the live stream? Are you sure that you belong to Christ? It's the most important question to be sure about, isn't it? There's an old saying, isn't there? There are two certainties in life. Have you heard that? Death and taxes. But in truth, we could say perhaps there are two certainties in life. Death and judgment. And so Peter asked that question in two different ways. What will become of the ungodly and what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel? It's not going to be a good outcome, is it? As Paul says in Romans, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So how should we respond to this then? How should we respond to Peter's injunction that we should rejoice when we suffer for the name of Christ? Well, that brings us to our second point in verse 19. Can I just say, firstly, if you aren't sure that you belong to Christ, if this is something that is new to you, or you're struggling with it, you're thinking, how do I find joy in the circumstances that I'm currently facing? Please don't let the day go by without talking to somebody. Come chat to me afterwards or one of the staff team or somebody that you know who knows the Lord. Make today the day you make sure that you belong to Jesus. And for those of us that do already know and trust the Lord Jesus, let's take verse 19 to heart. Have a look at it with me. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter is in no way suggesting that by doing good that will some way make you okay before God. What he's saying is because you are Christ's, that's the right response, do good. Don't turn away. Don't give up because of the difficulty and the challenge. That would be a tragedy. The more you suffer for the sake of the gospel, the more you should commit to him. That's why Pastor Neural could say, he, you can't take Christ away from me. Do what you want. But Christ is mine. And two things just remember to encourage you as we close in that. Firstly, don't be surprised that persecution is coming. In chapter 1, verse 13, Peter urged us, prepare your minds for action, because he knew that things were going to be difficult and that we need to be prepared, we need to be ready. Just um, 
imagine for a minute that you're flying away on holiday somewhere and you sit in the cabin of the airplane and everybody's belted up ready to take off and the captain comes on and he says uh, good morning ladies and gentlemen this is your captain speaking we'll be clear for takeoff in just a couple of moments when the ground crew have finished attaching the L plates as this is my first time flying <laughs> you'd want to get off wouldn't you at that point but you see just as the pilot needs to know the theory and the practice and everything that's to do with flying the airplane before he ever gets anywhere near passengers. So we as Christians, before we get anywhere near the persecution that will inevitably come, we need to really know that in trusting Jesus we can find true joy, that we can rejoice in him, even in that suffering. Secondly, we're never alone when that persecution comes because we stand in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 1, we're chosen by God. Chapter 2, verse 4, we're chosen by God and, do you remember that lovely little phrase? Precious to him. Chapter 2, verse 9, we're a people belonging to God. Chapter 3, 21 and 22, we're united in baptism to Christ who is, at who is in heaven at God's right hand. Why would we even think that God, having chosen us, would abandon us and leave us on our own. Now as we stand firm for him, so he draws alongside us. He gives us the joy that we need. He gives us the strength that we need. He gives us the courage that we need. He gives us the peace that we need. Even in circumstances when we can't find it for ourselves. That's why my brother in Christ, Pastor Neural, could say, my Lord is with me. He cares for me. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for the joy and the privilege that you have given us that we might be considered worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, if we're honest, none of us likes to suffer. None of us likes to be ridiculed for our faith. None of us likes to be insulted. And yet we know that we stand with Christ. Father, in those moments when we are feeling weak and we are struggling, would you in your grace and mercy draw alongside us and so fill us with joy in Christ that we would stand firmly for him, that we would continue to do good in him and for him. Father, give us that deep contentment that comes from knowing that we are united with Christ through all eternity. I pray it in his precious name. Amen.